Hey, Heal community, welcome to season six. If you're listening for the first time, welcome. If you're back for more, thank you for continuing to support this project and being a part of it. If you're not yet a member of my email list, go to sarahmarshallnd.com to register. That will continue to be the hub of all new releases of podcasts, articles, and updates. As this project goes into its third year this June, I'm building a team to expand into more ways to support you on your healing journey, and my email list is the best way to do that. Go to my website, sarahmarshallnd.com to sign up. Welcome to Heal. Today, we have the privilege to be with Jonathan DePotter, founder of Behold Retreats, which is dedicated to elevating consciousness with world-class plant medicine journeys. I've frequently shared about my own healing journeys with sacred plant medicine, and today for the first time on Heal, we dedicate an entire episode to honor and learn about the world these special plants open up in all of us. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. What a special opportunity this gets to be, Jonathan. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me here, Sarah. It's a real pleasure. Yeah, this is so neat. I was just chatting with Jonathan before we hit record that I usually do a pre-interview with my guests and you're a total surprise to me. You showed up on my calendar and it's the, the universe completely conspired in our favor here. I'm super excited about it. And so I get to uh, discover things as much as my guests do as we, uh, or as my audience does, as we take into this conversation. So that's super, super exciting for me. And Jonathan, you are quite the international citizen, originally from Hawaii, and you're currently living in Thailand, and you've spent a good amount of time in New Zealand and Hong Kong. So you've got a real worldly perspective to bring to the conversation. I'm excited about that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, I've been blessed to live in beautiful and varied places and they've, they've all contributed so much. You know, most recently, my, my motivation for moving to Thailand was actually to improve my patience after five years in Hong Kong. You know, it's such a fast paced <laughs> manic yeah. city, you know, even compared to New York, it's just absolutely crazy there. And so after five years there, I just found my personality perhaps uh, underdeveloped in relation to patients in a few other areas. So that was part of the motivation for moving to a Buddhist and calmer country like Thailand. That's awesome. Cool. Well, I want to get into what we're here to talk about, which is my words, the miracle and gift of plant medicine, which is interesting for me to say plant medicine because I'm an herbalist. So I'm like, I use all kinds of plants all the time, but we've now deemed this this heading plant medicine is, is specifically referring to entheogens and plants that bring a real deep spiritual and heart-based healing capacity forward. Although it has been interesting as an herbalist and a homeopath to see the parallels. And it just seems to be a matter of intensity and dose of experience that, you know, as I've walked my own path with plant medicine, most specifically with ayahuasca, a little bit with psilocybin, I've found a lot of traces in there of work I've been doing for 15 years in homeopathy in fields like biotherapeutic drainage and how I've even prescribed herbal medicine as a realigning of the physical with the spiritual and the heart-based self. And this has just become another potent tool in the tool bag, you know, and as a physician in the United States, I 
am able to offer guidance and support for people in their physical preparation and or integration. And, you know, at this point in time in the United States, I'm in no position to prescribe or recommend, but I do find people just come to me and they're like, I'm thinking about this and I'm not sure if it's a good idea and how do I even figure out who to sit with or how to find people. So I'm excited to have you as someone who this is your life's work and you lead retreats all over the world, Tulum, Costa Rica, the Netherlands, and, you know, bring people into varying different types of medicines, which I'm also excited to talk about because you can kind of share what, why would you go to one plant or another, or what are the different, you know, opportunities in that? And, and then the big one, I think a lot of people deal with is like, how the heck do you, you know, what are you, you're just going to Google it and like go right. Like that's, that's always a thing. So it's really great to have you here and have you as a resource for the audience. Thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's a real pleasure to be here and, and excited to educate. You know, I think it's such a contentious subject. And I really liked what you said in terms of realignment. You know, that's very much the, the way that I think about these medicines as well. It's, you know, it's trying to get our mind, body, heart and spirit into a single harmonized vibration and then trying to raise that vibration to a higher level, you know, even at a even at a cellular level. And I think that's that's kind of beginning to take a greater shape as our modern definition of health. I think we've historically set the, the, the bar for mental health and for physical health at such a low level that we didn't even recognize what greater opportunities there were. And so as people have you know, their own spiritual awakening and begin to receive the messages to improve their own well-being across all aspects, it's, it's a very exciting time to be alive. I love you saying that because it's something that I think I've, I've had a handle on at least in my subconscious. It's now coming very much into my forward conscious with my clients and my own life is this reintegration of an inherited conversation. That's almost 450 years old from Descartes of the separation of mind and body. And Mm. I'm going to say my version of the story and any historians can come on and and correct me of any of the details, but what my understanding of it was you know, 500 years ago, the church had complete domain over human beingness and in in Europe in particular. And there were scientists that actually were interested in studying anatomy and studying physiology. And they wanted to be able to investigate, like it was a crime at a certain point to even go in and take apart a human body because Mm -hmm. that was all dominion of the church. And Mm -hmm the one of the strategies the scientists worked out is they were like, no, the body is just this physical mass of matter. It has nothing to do with the spirit. It has nothing to do with the domain of the mind. It's just this physical entity. And while that some of that was actually how they saw things, there was an element of it was a convenient way to make sure that the the anatomists and physiologists could actually be able to do the work that they wanted to do was to like ensure that they had nothing to do with each other. And then now Mm -hmm. almost 500 years later, we've still been dealing with that theory, getting in our way of actual healing and being a fully human expressed human where you study native American tradition or any of the more, you know, earth based spiritual traditions and life traditions. And they're like, excuse me, what do you mean? These things are not related, right? Like, and that's such a, um, handicap to our ability to actually heal. And so Mm. as I'm now entering into my 13th year of practice as a naturopath, 
I'm discovering that the clients I have that are willing to take a look at autoimmune disease, cancer, heart disease, high blood pressure from the perspective of this could be coming from, you know, emotional disturbances or withheld, you know, traumas that I've experienced, even generational traumas, which is now Mm -hmm. actually getting legitimized in the research of how generational trauma impacts our physiology. Like what happened to your grandmother and your grandfather can indicate what diseases you may end up with, you know, and my frame of reference comes a lot from people dealing with physical illnesses. Cause that's who comes to work with me and, and my clients that take on this perspective and even do work on all levels, they heal so much faster. And then I love also what you said about, we don't even begin to understand what's possible. Like mm. our definition, I have often said, like the way that we operate in culture is to be healthy if it was in the finance world, we'd be the equivalent of being debt-free, but with $0 in your bank account, no investments, no property, no, like nothing, like it literally be at zero, which any financial advisor would tell you that's a terrible idea. <laughs> but in the world of health, that's how we often operate is like, well, I've got some pain. I've got some this, I've got some that, but I'm generally healthy because I don't have a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And that's and like I saying, like, I don't have a bankruptcy on my track record, but that's it, you know? Absolutely. And I think, you know, we're, I'm just beginning to hear some exciting things about, you know, there's obviously now some research in relation to epigenetics. And yeah. so I think there's a first paper out now published evidencing that we can indeed can indeed change our epigenetic expression with plant medicine. There's another piece that I'm very excited about, which is uh, measuring more bioelectricity. And I think over time, that's going to become uh, a much, a much more accurate measure of actual biological health, right? Because, you know, when, when you can feel the vibratory and energy flowing through your body as is, as is possible. And, and many of us have kind of become desensitized, right? Whether it's by virtue of diet, stress, overwhelm, or indeed, you know, many of the things that we're subject to either through intergenerational trauma, childhood trauma, or, or, you know, any of just the, the challenges of everyday life, fundamentally not getting enough sleep, all of these Mm -hmm. things really impact our health. And so I think it's, it's an exciting time again, to, to begin to reevaluate what it means to be, to have vibrant health and to, to establish a much more advanced definition of what that might look like and to raise the bar so that we have something new to aspire to collectively. Yeah. That's so neat. And you say it, how you said it, biologic electricity. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a neat phrase to put to. So in naturopathic medicine, we have had a philosophical concept called the vital force. And Mm -hmm. literally my like first year of med school, first introduction to naturopathic philosophy is cultivating and expanding the vital force in a human being is your access to healing. And you pretty much can predict how well something's going to go in terms of somebody being able to overcome an illness and or they're going to get consumed by the illness, aka die of it, is from vital force. And many of our medicines and in the core philosophy of naturopathic medicine comes from how do you revitalize somebody? How do you increase their vital vital force? And there actually are machines and subtle measurement mechanisms that we've had over the last 50 or 60 years to measure vital force that have all been sort of like, oh, those are non-scientific. Those aren't really you know, useful. They're too subtle. But as our technology has been able to measure things at a more and more subtle level, and even our ability to take photographs of 
cells and cellular process and, and all of that, we're actually starting to see this philosophical concept that's been around, at least in my background for 250 years, colliding with quantum physics and what scientists are actually able to measure. So that's really a neat perspective because I do think it's going to bring a lot of validity and also explain a lot of where we feel like, I know clients come to me all the time with, I feel like I'm doing everything right, but I'm not any better. You know, I'm Mm. following these guidelines. I've been on, you know, the autoimmune protocol or a very strict version of a paleo diet. I have, you know, taken on these things. I do a detox every single year. I fast on a regular basis and they're like, but I'm only getting so far. And for me, I've always said, you know, okay, we've got to look at another quadrant of your existence. You know, there's mind, emotions, spiritual, and physical, And so much focus has been solely on the physical and most, a lot of it just doesn't even work that well. And it's like, then that'll also invalidate those medicines, but it's like, what about that in tandem with this other work to accelerate it, to build the vital force, to increase the energy of the organism, AKA us, our body. And I've been exploring that for myself as well. Like I've noticed simply being connected to nature, like consciously spending more time outside has been a bigger influx of vital force energy than all of the exercise and meditation that Mm. I standardly would practice. It's like this missing component and more and more, and you don't know this, but my audience does. I had chronic fatigue syndrome two years ago. And typically that's like a four to eight year healing journey. And I healed it in a year and Mm. it, that, I mean, whatever, congratulations. But the main point was, is that I actually was looking for that, seeking that vital force, like what mm. builds me up. And I, naturopathic doctor, 15 years of experience was like dumbfounded how much getting out of like you going from Hong Kong to Thailand, like, is like, I went from, you know, being in the midst of the middle of a city, go, go, go energy. And I moved out into the countryside and have spent a lot more time just in a quieter physical environment connected to nature, walking barefoot, sitting on the ground, literally connected to nature. And that alone had started to really build me up in a way that I even was surprised by the difference that it would make to go do that. And then you take this even deeper and get connected to sacred plants. And that has also been a message I've heard and a message a lot of people that I have participated in this work have heard about what is your relationship to nature and how are you connecting to the earth and to the world around? I love that. I love that. And I think, you know, for one one of the words that came to mind as you were speaking was like, you know, that fundamentally, I think we are individually and collectively suffering from separation. Right. Mm -hmm. So we've spoken about some of the ways that you can be separated from yourself, you know, over identification with the mind, disconnected from your emotions, not connected to your spirit. We're disconnected from our communities. I think often, you know, we don't really have many of us don't really have a sense of community or belonging because, you know, we've just individuated to such a great extent in, in modern society. And then I think the, the other aspect, the other level is, is absolutely it's nature and getting back out there and connecting with the earth and being of service to the earth is, mm-hmm. uh, is part of the, the collective healing journey as well. It's awesome. So, okay. How the heck did you end up here? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you've had quite an incredible career and process through your own life. And then here you are, I'm assuming this is the predominant thing that you're doing in your life. And so like, 
how do you end up on this path choosing to say, I'm going to give my life to facilitating these retreats for healing? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm naturally, I'm a pretty curious person. And so if I wind back five years ago, you know, I, I was blessed to have pretty good guidance and mentorship through my career. And so five years ago, I found myself leading a team of about 120 consultants in Hong Kong, mostly doing strategy and management consulting types of work. And, you know, life was good, objectively speaking. But just remember, you know, I think it was one night after perhaps a few too many drinks the night before I woke up in the morning and I just, you know, I was, I was in the, I was in the running for promotion to managing director to partner and, you know, had good clients running good projects. But I just remember looking in the mirror and thinking the next thing isn't going to bring me any incremental joy, you know, the next client, the next project, the next promotion, like it's just, it's not there. Well, I don't know where it is, but it's definitely not there. And so in that moment, kind of, I decided to take a, a year off. And as part of that, I, I predominantly traveled through South America and a few friends came and joined me in Peru. And, and that's what ultimately led me to attending a first retreat about five years ago now in, in Peru. And so that was, yeah, it was a pretty challenging and mind opening, spirit opening experience. And so, you know, over the years of attending quite a number of five-star retreats and honestly speaking, not being very well prepared, guided, or uh, led through the integration process over my three and a half years of many five-star retreats, I came to really benefit from a lot of deeper breakthroughs and working with some private healers. Uh, and so once I you know, understood the difference in what they were doing in how they prepare people and how they help them integrate and also you know the healing potential that's available when people have got really deep energetic skills in relation to this work it really redoubled my motivation at that point in time to really guide first my friends and then ultimately my broader network and then of course now our our client base to really transformative experiences. And so, yeah, that's been, that's been my journey. And, and as a result, of course, my motivation. That's awesome. And okay. So I want to get into that. So I was a card carrying straight edge, you know, I had this whole like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually heard of ayahuasca in medical school and I had no concept for what it was, but somehow it had filtered into my consciousness though. And that's about 15, 16 years ago. And I distinctly remember having this thought of like bunch of freaking hippies with an excuse to go get high in the woods. <laughs> and I have since also, as I've stepped into the shamanic medicine path for my own personal healing, have noticed sometimes that when I talk to people, they're like, yeah, I did mushrooms in college. Like I've done, you know, I've done LSD at a concert, you know, and I'm like, yeah, it's a little different than that. So can you speak a bit to like, I, I mean, you know, what is it that differentiates this work from just like hanging out with some friends or going to a music festival or, you know, like, like how, how is it different from that? Yeah. So I guess the first thing that I would say is that, you know, everything is a reflection of intentionality, right? Everything in our universe is a reflection of consciousness, a reflection of intentionality. And so the context and the intention that we set for such an experience is, is fundamentally 
a large portion of the experience itself. And so, you know, you could take for the sake of conversation, an equivalent amount of mushrooms, you know, and, and do that in a really sacred and ceremonial context or going to a concert with some friends and, you know, just doing it, you know, kind of on the, on a whim, if you will. And of course, you're going to have very different uh, experiences if you've spent, you know, weeks and perhaps even months preparing for it, setting very deep and meaningful intentions, you know, perhaps speaking with a coach or a therapist in preparation for that experience, it's much more likely that the medicine is going to respond to that intentionality and, and help you, you know, reach lower and higher levels of consciousness, which is fundamentally, you know, what these experiences are about. Consciousness exists in polarity. So it's not just only about, of course, universal love and the interconnectivity of all things and all of these beautiful mystical experiences that we all want to have. But in order to be able to, to reach that vibration, we need to clear the lower level stuff. We need to be able to clear the shame, the guilt, the fear, the anger, the envy, the pride, all of those sorts of lower level emotions that are stuck in our physical body, either through you know, our own, our own traumas, intergenerational trauma, things we went through in school, or even just the thought patterns that are now embedded and, and so manifesting in our limiting beliefs, et cetera. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's where the, the medicine, you know, I'm always quick to say that actually there's this great piece of research. It's done from 2,300 ayahuasca ceremonies and what it showed, and I think this is so important and so typically overlooked is that number one, the medicine can help us reconnect with our joy for life. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Number two, it really deepens our spiritual spirituality and connection with the sacred. Also amazing. Number three, and most importantly, it does not remove feelings of negativity and toxicity. So you can do lots and lots of plant medicine, lots and lots of psychedelics, and still not actually have achieved the third. So, you know, we really benefit from either deep introspective work with ourselves or a mirror in the shape of a, a coach or a therapist to be able to say, here's, you know, someone who's successfully elevated their consciousness is going to be able to guide others to a similar place. And so just being able to identify okay, well, what is it that's keeping you from living the life of your dreams and working through the mental and emotional blind spots that we all have as the as a precedent to actually stepping into the work with the medicine. So, you know, with clients, I always say that it's uh, it's 80% mental and emotional work, which is what sets up the 20% with the plant medicine to be as transformative as it can be. But otherwise, you know, the 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 subconscious realm, it's, it's, it's infinite, right? And so it's very easy to um, do dozens or even hundreds of ceremonies exploring what is back there and not necessarily being able to anchor any benefits back into the three-dimensional realm. And that's very much what we try to, to guide our clients is, yep, you can have peak experiences and that's great. We love that. But ultimately what matters is the sustained level of consciousness that you're able to, to reach. And that's fundamentally all about the integration of the experience and being able to release the lower level emotions and rewire patterns of mind that are limiting your default thinking uh, patterns that have been so established over years. Or decades. Yeah. And I absolutely mirror that in my own experience. And I mean, I think I spent over 10 years in transformational education and transformational coaching work personally. And one of the things I like directly can correlate that work to my benefits that I've gotten from sitting in ceremony and with plant medicine is that I had a lot of practice setting intentions and fulfilling on those intentions just simply from 
the mental effort side of it, you know, setting mm-hmm. an intention for what I wanted to get out of a course or a program and keeping my attention on that and holding that intention over a long period of time, six weeks, eight weeks, an entire year. And so those practices have come in for me in my work. And I also can see where I already knew that I already came in with that skill set. And so not everybody does come to their experiences with that same intentionality and to be able to create programs or support through therapy, through coaching, you know, to actually help people do that introspective work. And one of the people that I've worked with, you know, really pointed to our brains are hardwired to protect us from pain and suffering, which is funny Mm -hmm. because they also embed us in pain and suffering, but consciously Mm -hmm. it's, it's challenging for me to make myself go to those dark places. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like even with a strong amount of intentionality and my brain just won't, it just does the best job it can, you know, I'm PTSD and suppressed memories. All of that points to our brain's capacity to protect us from deep, painful experiences that we've dealt with. And, you know, as a kid, I grew up with asthma and had a lot of immune system issues. And one of the strategies my consciousness came up with was disassociation. Mm -hmm. I could just kind of check out from my body when it was in pain, or I had a low level of oxygen in my blood and go wander around in my imagination. And so one of the things that I've been at work on that's made a real difference in my experience of my day-to-day life. It's also made a difference in my sexuality and my experience of pleasure in my body is the reintegration and rewiring that pathway of disassociation that I had. Mm -hmm. Just me saying, I'm going to do that, like has only had so many, but when I set that intention and do the preparatory work, which we could talk about, what does that even look like? And then I sit in ceremony holding that intention. It's like the plants guide me to places I would not have otherwise found any way I haven't to go there. And then I get to also unpack that in my tribe, with my community, with people around me over weeks or months after I've had that experience. So I just Mm. totally honor that the importance of that, both the preparation and the integration. So let's talk a little bit about that. Like what, what does it look like to prepare? Yeah. So in, in essence, we do three things for our clients. Uh, We typically take three weeks before Mm -hmm. a retreat to help them prepare and three weeks after to help them integrate. The three things that we help them with before is number one, who is your future self? You know, we are, we are creative and unlimited in our in our essence and in our being and so most people have a reasonable sense of who they want to be sometimes they need some help there as well but you know fundamentally we really want to anchor a future self not in 20 years time let's say six months or 12 months time so who is that future self and getting really clear on who that person is and then how that person is different from the the person that that you're living in today, right? Which is, okay, so what are the limiting beliefs? What are the mental patterns that are keeping you or even the the behaviors and habits that are keeping you from that future self? 
So we do quite a bit of thought work in relation to um, any of those limiting beliefs and, and working those through. And then we also teach tools for, for mental, future mental and emotional work. So I mentioned before releasing emotions. That's a big one, you know, for a lot of our clients, they're quite disconnected actually from their emotional body. And so, you know, some practices to really tap back into the emotions and, and to get the emotions moving. So, you know, I think one of the ways that I often describe this work is that, you know, as we're moving up into a higher vibration, the things that are keeping us from, from reaching an even higher vibration are those dissonant energies, the, the shame, the guilt, the fear, et cetera, that I mentioned before. And so what we want to be doing as those painful memories and, and emotions are coming to the surface is to release them out and to release them out. And for some people, unless they've actually done that before, it's a very foreign concept. So they're just, you know, having, a, you know, it can lead to people having a, a more challenging or even bad trip, quote unquote, bad trip, right. because they don't know what to do with the stuff that's coming up. And so we'd like to make sure that they've got the tools for the mental and emotional work. So the mental work to actually shift patterns of mind, become much more aware of the, say, the negativity patterns or victim patterns of mind that so many of us have, or, you know, negative self-talk or bad self-parenting, as I often describe it. So becoming conscious of, of when those patterns of mind are emerging so that when we have the benefit, the neurogenetic benefits and our, our brains are fully reconnected by virtue of these powerful medicines, that we actually know the patterns of minds that we're trying to rewire. Otherwise, it's very likely that, you know, we, we overuse a small subset of, of neural pathways and become more deterministic in our thinking as we become overwhelmed and busier and have more, more and more things to manage in everyday life and life itself becomes more complex. And so what we're trying to do is to, yeah, regain that neuroplasticity and, and rewire those patterns of mind. So fundamentally it's future, who's your future self. And then, you know, releasing the mental and emotional blind spots, identifying and releasing them, and then teaching them tools to be able to continue that work in ceremony and on retreat. And then three weeks of integration after that. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, in my own work have really seen how a lot of what I had an intention for ceremony to release starts to come up in full force before I get there. <laughs> mm -hmm. And again, it came from my background that gave me the sense of like, you know, the breakdowns before the breakthroughs and that that's actually a natural process of sort of, you know, it, it, it's as simple as what you put your intention on. If you focus on red truck, then you look around and you see red trucks everywhere. It's like, and so I start to focus on like, here's what I'm out to transform. This is what I'm out to heal. And it gets louder and louder and louder the closer I get to ceremony and to be able to have the guidance and the support of someone to say, that's great. That's this process working, using journaling, using communication tools or somatic processes to be able to release some of that. Sometimes even I have found myself clear a lot of things before I ever even get there. And by the time I'm there, I'm like, hmm. Well, now what should we work on? Because like I've done so much in my conscious waking life, you know, that brought me there. And yet the surprises of the, I, I can't even, I mean, it is ethereal to me and like almost ineffable to really talk about what can happen in ceremony. But at the same time, I'm always amazed at the wisdom and the surprises, you know, we can get in and I'd actually be interested to get into like different types of plant medicines and what the roles they play. I particularly have been strongly called to ayahuasca and that has been the predominant tool that I've worked with. And I, it's very conversational for me. She talks to me 
And she has this wise grandmotherly way. And sometimes she'll wag her finger at me and be like, honey, you got to knock that off. And like, there'll literally be these kinds of conversations that happen. And in a very recent ceremony, I just had, I had a bunch of questions that were just brimming around in my head. And then I'm actually in ceremony and I'm having a very physical experience. My body's doing a lot of work. I'm mostly dealing with body sensations. There's not a lot of visual or I'm not really gone journeying anywhere else. I'm like right here in the room. And this voice out of nowhere goes, did you want to ask those questions or do you just want to have this experience? And I'm like, who said that? Where did that come from? Right. And then put on my big girl pants and get myself settled and seated to be able to like have this deeper conversation. So there is this just joyful mystery of how these things unfold and how often unexpected insights have come to me. And yet it's been the perfect fit for what I was there to work on. I've had ancestors come to me. My grandfather who's passed away has shown up in ceremony, like, you know, all sorts of people. My father's grandmother showed up in this. I didn't even know that she would be connected to what my intention was for that ceremony. And that's something that as I've shared and talked with other people in my tribe, they often will relate to And that's something that for me, you know, three years of this medicine in my life, but at the same time, I'm brand new compared to where a lot of people have taken it. And I'm starting to really see these patterns of like how ayahuasca heals, what she actually goes to work on. And there's this consistency in people's experiences over and over and over again without like, we didn't all read the same book. We didn't all listen to the same, you know, it's, it's like, it comes through these plants, what they go to work on. And that's Mm -hmm. just been blowing my mind lately. This like consistency of experience that people get taken through of healing their family, healing their relationship to their self, healing, you know, very specific types of traumas and experiences. But I also have this limited, limited container. I have this specific container that I've mostly done that work with ayahuasca. So I'm super curious for myself and for others, like, what have you seen? Because you've also talked about 5-MeO as a really excellent way for people to access this work in a different physical experience. So share about that, like why the different medicines and how would somebody know what they might be called to? Yeah. So the first thing I would always say in, in relation to this would be to encourage people to do their own research mm-hmm. and you know understand the different medicines that are out there. And, and through that process, it's quite likely that one of the medicines just begins to resonate in a in a deeper way with 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 the person individually. So most of the work that we do is with psilocybin ayahuasca and 5-MeO-DMT. We do a little bit of work with San Pedro as well, which is uh, also a beautiful medicine. And there's many more that uh, over time we will also introduce to uh, more of our clients, you know, there's a plant-based 5-MeO, which is called Yopo, which is which is a pretty great experience. And you can also do different types of San Pedro and in different ways. So there's kind of what the San Pedro that most people know. And then there's Bolivian San Pedro, which is, you know, quite a bit stronger. And then there's some practitioners that do it even in high dose. So it's like a, a 36 hour journey, to help, which <laughs> which is, which is yeah. pretty, pretty, pretty profound. And then uh, some of our healers also work with Iboga, which can be, you know, a 94 hour 
journey, you know, or usually it's more like 24 to 36, but it can be considerably longer than that if it's, uh, if it's an intense one. So there's, there's lots of, and, and hundreds more medicines out yeah, there that yeah. are just, you know, not so popular as those that are in the, in the, in the modern, in the modern zeitgeist, I suppose. And so, yeah, I mean, I, that, that would always be the first thing I'd say is encouraging people to research for themselves and decide for themselves the medicine that most resonates. In a broad sense, you know, I would say that people who are convinced that they want to do a first experience, but there's a lot of anxiety and nerves around it, they will generally start with a San Pedro or psilocybin retreat as kind of a softer entry point. I think they're both beautiful medicines. They've got plenty to teach. I think ayahuasca is probably deeper as an experience. You know, the, the underlying molecule DMT is also known as the spirit molecule. And I think, you know, as you shared there, I think, of course, each of the medicine, each of the plant medicine teachers has its own spirit and its own voice. But certainly a lot of people like yourself, you know, can experience a real dialogue happening with the, with mother ayahuasca and that there's a lot of instruction coming through. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> clear, clear instructions. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, Got it. Yes, yeah, that's uh -huh. clear. <laughs> there's little, there's often, you know, and, and I think, you know, <laughs> in the West, I think we appreciate uh, a direct message sometimes. <laughs> in Asia, here in Asia, um, people like, uh, people like an indirect message, a little more subtlety is welcome in the subtlety and ambiguity is welcome in the, in, in, in the culture, but in the U S we just, you know, we want the answer. And then, you know, in contrast to, to, to ayahuasca five MEO, you know, I think ayahuasca, it, it tends to work more on a physical level first, right? So often clearing out, detoxifying our physical body. And then it tends to lead into what I would describe as, you know, healing experiences typically that relate to our past. That's often where most people start once they're moving into, you know, the, the mental, emotional, spiritual aspects of the, of the experience. And then, you know, beyond that, you know, there's not, it's not linear, but, you know, beyond that is obviously things that are more in relation to healing our other relationships, healing the family, healing, you know, the lineage, healing, and then, you know, the relationship between the self and the outside world, nature, and, and indeed the universe. Whereas I think 5-MEO tends to move straight towards the relationship between you and the universe during mm -hmm. a breakthrough experience. So uh, it's smoked, so it doesn't have the same purgative effects. You can purge, but it's more of a spiritual purging rather than a physical purging that we can experience with ayahuasca. And, you know, during a breakthrough experience, it's what we describe as non-dual. So subject object disappears, you know, reality itself breaks apart in front of our eyes. And we are, you know, catapulted into a oneness uh, and an awareness and, and rejoined with the universe as a whole. So we're really able to experience, you know, I guess, what we truly are once a lot of things have been peeled away. And so that's one of the reasons that um, this medicine is, is quite exciting and, and quite profound. I also think it's one that, you know, for the first many journeys that one experiences with 5-MEO, the medicine is, is very much driving the bus, if I may describe it as, as such. Uh -huh. And so we're kind of on the receiving end of what's going on versus with ayahuasca, I tend to find there's a bit more of a, a negotiation that's that's taking place. And in contrast, you know, the other reason that people sometimes choose 5-MEO is the, the, on the physical level, it's only about a 10 or 20 minute experience. It's timeless when we're, when we have a full breakthrough, but the actual, you know, the actual earth minutes is 10 to 20 minutes for a peak. Times. And so, 
Yeah. So, so some people who have some nerves often may choose that one just because it is uh, a bit shorter and the, the negotiation process between the small self and the big self is also faster. Uh, whereas with ayahuasca, you know, ultimately what we're looking for through these experiences is indeed an ego death, right? A moment where we completely let go of our own sense of self and relax that entirely and completely. And it feels like we are going to in that moment. And so with ayahuasca, you know, that can sometimes take weeks, months, years of ceremonies in order to reach that place. With 5-MeO-DMT, it's, uh, it happens a little bit quicker. <laughs> a little bit quicker. Absolutely. A lot and quicker. Then, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And, and honestly, the, it has been in my sphere of reference and I have not stepped into that path yet. It, it's, yeah. Mm. And I really can relate to that experience of the negotiation and, you know, I, I have had this, this is kind of a small example, but I've had this knot in behind my left shoulder blade for, I don't even know how long, 15 years. And it comes and goes in different times. And I was sitting in ceremony at one point and I was like, can we heal that? And she's like, uh, we can, are you sure you want to like, I mean, it's going to take something. And I was like, nah, how about next time? <laughs> Literally, It was like, this. like, mm, I'm not actually want to go there right now. And like that kind of experience, I can completely echo that in my own own moments but um the the thing that came to mind as you were saying that is that you know with 5-MeO one of the things that because you can have a very powerful experience and then kind of land back to where you are because it all happens so quickly and so what's what's super beneficial in relation to 5-MeO in particular is a healer with a very developed energetic channel so they're actually able to you know bring energy light down into your being as you are you know, being expanded as you never have before. And so, you know, there's, I know plenty of people who have done the medicine without necessarily the presence of a healer and it's can lead to much more challenging experiences or experiences that don't just, that really don't have any much in the way of sustained benefits. That's another aspect. And, you know, when we work with five of you know, we experienced healers that are there and, you know, doing the ceremony on an individuated basis so that they can really provide that support on an energetic level to, to the clients. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good. I mean, we've talked about preparation and we've talked about integration and then there's the container and the actual people you're with, which I have massively found that to be a major deciding factor in kind of what happens or how it goes you know, the intentionality way we would say it is the intentionality of weaving the container and, and the integrity of that container at the level of the whole group, you know, in ayahuasca, I sit often with anywhere from 10 to 25 people and there's the facilitators or the shamans or the people who are actually, you know, guiding the ceremony, but I've gotten more and more in touch with how we all are there in that moment in time coming together for reasons. And there's this energetic symbionts that happens. And I do find it's always the right group. It's not like it's ever like, you know, but there, there's a quality that happens distinctly with that strong intentionality and high levels of integrity that come into it. And people that can, you know, have been trained and developed either from their own indigenous ancestry and their lineage or however they've come into it, you know, personally, that's something that's a really big deal to me of who I sit with and what their capacities are in being able to help facilitate the movement of energy and the processing of what's actually happening in the moment in ceremony. And so can you speak to that a bit about like choosing your guides 
in this process? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the, there's a couple of things that I always like to share with people. The first is it's probably likely that, you know, a lot of people have friends that are quick to make recommendations. Mm -hmm. And I always say, if you've seen a massive positive shift in your friend, that's giving you a recommendation, then he's probably giving you a pretty good recommend. So if you've seen a real transformation in terms of, you know, uh, their relationships, their passion for the work that they're doing, their ability to create abundance and more good things in their lives. If those things are true and you've seen a big shift and they're giving you a recommendation, probably a pretty good recommendation. If on the other hand, they're, they're saying that it's changed their lives. It's been the most amazing dot, 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 but you haven't really seen many changes in the way that they lead their lives, then it's probably not a very good recommendation. So that's the, that's the first thing that I would say. The second would be that, you know, it's all, it's all energetic. It's all vibration. And so spending the time and the energy to find people who reflect the energy that you aspire to is I think of, of fundamental importance. And so, you know, you'll, you'll know when you find them, I always encourage people to look at say 10 or 15 different places and then speak to three or four that, mm-hmm. uh, that you think are of greatest interest and just, you know, take the time, make sure that they're taking the time to actually understand who you are and where you're at and ask them, you know, if you are, if, if they think that you're a good candidate for what they're offering and why, because, you know, it's, um, it's not the case. I don't think that uh, everyone should be serving everyone. If that makes sense. Yeah. I think, you know, I think the way that this space will emerge is that there is a degree of, I don't want to say specialization, but different energies. And I think that's good. I think variability is good. And it's not to say that there's a right or a wrong, but there's definitely very different ways of doing this work and different people holding different belief systems and coming from different wisdom traditions or working with different medicines and different locations. So there's a lot of variables. And also, you know, the other things that I always recommend people look for is the ratio between facilitators and participants. And, you know, whether or not it's going to be, you know, if it's 25 first timers and there's five facilitators, oh my God, that's a recipe for disaster. But if it's 20 people who have been doing their work for a couple of years and five first timers, well, then that ratio is perfectly fine. And so it really, you know, it really depends upon, upon that as well. The last, the last aspect is, you know, if people are going for a first time and they're they're they've got some questions, I would generally encourage them to consider a smaller group in the first instance, just because energetically it's easier for, you know, for them to, relax and, and release into the experience. It's less likely to someone's having their dark night of the ego, dark night of the soul. And, and, and just to be able to, yeah, feel more energetically protected within a, a smaller, a smaller group size. So that's a few of the things that I typically share. And yeah, I always say, just make sure you speak to someone ahead of actually physically going because it's just this is a very human experience so you want to make sure you're going through a high quality medical screening that they're asking all sorts of questions about who you are why you're ready for this all of you know the you, it should feel like a bit of an examination and if you don't feel like you've been properly questioned in relation to your own motivations your own safety your own you know past experiences mental health all of these sorts of things like then then be cautious. So speaking to a few more, you should also feel a little bit more examined by uh, a high quality practitioner than, than one that's just, you know, rubber stamping everyone through. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about the work that you and your programs do. So I'm um, making an assumption, especially the way you've talked about it, that this isn't like just the Jonathan's way where he sits on a cushion and does, you know, it sounds like you have a team of people that you work with. Can you talk about, about, you know, what your retreats are like and, and what that actually looks like in terms of working with other facilitators? Yeah. So, so I guess what, what we've tried to do with Behold Retreats is really to bring together the mental, the emotional, and the energetic, right? And so for most of our clients, we, you know, once we understand where they're at and what they hope to gain from a journey, you know, what their future self would look like, then we're able to pat, to match them up with a coach or with a therapist that's suited to their, and to get them, you know, working through the programs in terms of the mental work, self-inquiry, what are their current predominant thinking patterns about themselves, all of that sort of stuff. And then, you know, there's a weekly coaching call where they uh, go into detail with their coach or with their therapist and really just try to release any of the blockages and make sure that they really anchor anchor those tools and so you know that's as we discussed before that's all part of the preparation and then on retreat we will typically do three or four ceremonies depending upon the retreat depending upon the medicine and, you know that's that's as you can appreciate that's quite a bit of work uh, mm-hmm. to do over the space of, of a week so you know that being said, you know, we, we do have some yoga, some meditation, and of course, we like to leave plenty of time for resting, reflection, and, uh, and journaling. We do some group integration circles sharing during the retreat as well, because, you know, as, as, as we know, the, there's often pretty deep benefits actually from hearing other people's stories because we can actually integrate other people's experiences into our own because, you know, we're not so different as we all like to think, you know, the, the, the talented coaches and therapists, it's, it's, it's almost comical to, to see the speed at which they're able to quickly pick up on what people are at and, and how quickly they are able to help them shift their perspective because we're all, we're all challenged by virtually the same things. And we all want virtually the same things, which is more love, peace, and joy. And so, you know, just being able to see people make that shift over the course of a seven weeks is, is so rewarding. That's excellent. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being one of the pioneers willing to, make this available and to step out. I mean, that's been a shift that's been happening in the last 10 years is, you know, we came out of a whole period of prohibition and there's things shifting in the consciousness, the collective consciousness. There's there, I feel like the human spirit is, is requesting and demanding this. And now that it's opening up, so many people are called to it. There's so much curiosity and interest and to have someone like yourself of high caliber and integrity to bring to this healing process in this space is just super important. And so I thank you for doing that work. Oh, that's very kind of you. Thank you, Sarah. And, you know, I think the, the thing that excites me the most about this work is I'm, I'm blessed in this realm as well to have some pretty advanced mentorship and the people, the mentors who are guiding uh, me and some of our team, they're so far advanced in what they're able to do for people. And they spend most of their time and their, their energy further advancing themselves still. So there really is no upper bound to the elevation of consciousness. It's not like, you know, you receive your enlightenment and then your work is done. It's not that there is no upper limit to human potential. So as we, as we see here and feel more stories of that, I think we're, we're on a very exciting journey altogether. So that's perfect. And it leads into, I'm going to ask the biggest question at the end, (laughs) which is, something that I've been wrestling with myself of like, 
when you look at the state of the world right now and the things we're dealing with politically and socially and in terms of global health and how we treat each other and how we treat the planet, how does this work relate to that? Like, what do you see? Like, is there a connection or are we just finding an escape pod to get away from the suffering that's happening in the rest of the world? Yeah, I think this is going to, well, I think what's powerful about this work, you know, you shared earlier that there are consistencies between people's experiences. And I think, you know, that's, that's exciting because it, it means that there are universal truths that are discoverable that I believe, you know, universal love, I think, interconnectivity of all things, God consciousness, these are mystical experiences that have been written about in virtually every wisdom tradition and religion for millennia. And, you know, I think with the help of plant medicine, many more millions, billions of people can have firsthand experience of the fact that we are all, we are all one. That's not just some platitude that sounds good. It's genuinely the case. Consciousness doesn't originate in our mind. It's just modulated in our mind and it's a from, it's modulated by the frequency of our consciousness. And so if we change our, our frequency of our consciousness, then we're able to receive uh, a higher quality of thoughts and a lower quantum of thoughts, generally speaking. And that being said, I still believe that, you know, each of us is a unique uh, a unique hologram in the matrix. And so in that sense, reality very much is subjective. And so I think challenges that a product of different groups of people banding together in relation to their level of consciousness. And it's not to give one to say that that's better or that's worse. It just, it just is. And so, you know, as, as the saying goes, perception is reality. And I believe that truth and reality as a result of those things is also subjective. And so when we're able to recognize that our reality isn't another person's reality, and we want to be respected for our subjectivity of our reality, then by extension, we need to do to extend the same to any other uh, human being. And so I think that leads us very naturally to a new set of values and principles in terms of how we can interoperate and really honor each other individual right to self-determination. And so I think, you know, at a time where many people are seeing the world in, through very different lenses, I think the concept of top-down control structures trying to dictate how we individually lead our lives is just can't, can't work. And I think it's there's a lot of people that feel that way. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Clear. Well, it's absolutely something that has resonated with me as well as I've walked my own healing path, you know, inside and outside of this, these specific medicines has been something that, you know, I was actually raised in a Buddhist household and have had a principle of being a bodhisattva and someone who, you know, my life is that I am the relieve, you know, support the relieving of suffering of others, knowing I never will. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I go back and forth between the expansiveness of what's possible and then the overwhelm of how big it all is and like telescoping out and back in and out and back in and, you know, having uh, this profound sense of connection to something, you know, infinite and so much bigger that we are all a part of. And then coming back down to my 3D life going, okay, today, Monday, what am I going to do to actually make a difference in the scope of this? And a big chunk of it for me has been 
doing my own work such that I may be on that path to guide others who so choose, you know, Mm -hmm. and that I, every, you know, I always say when you work with any practitioner, they can't take you somewhere that they've never gone. And so, you know, I'm always on a seeker's life path. That's just who I am. And to continue to do that work, but then that gets to be my greatest contribution to others as well to have walked the path my way and then guide people towards what their way is of, you know, healing and expansion of self. And I've seen it over and over again in myself and in my clients as we take on healing, whatever that is healing spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, there is this wholeness that's resulting. And in that wholeness comes often a huge amount of compassion for others, connection for others, willingness to be contribution, patience, slowing down, Mm. you know, listening that it's hard sometimes for me to imagine that whatever I do in my 3d 24 hours day in and day out is really making that big of a difference in the grand scheme of things. Like that's been my current work is getting a little, like, what's the point? Like, really, like, how am I actually going to impact but then remembering the interconnectedness of it all. And like, you know, as I heal, it has an exponential ripple out into the world and makes a difference at that level. And it's just something I choose to trust and believe in and connect to as I also am, am just figuring it out, trying to be the best human I know how to be. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're, we're all, I think on that, on that journey of trying to raise our own frequency and, and balancing that with uh, being of best possible service to others. And I agree with you. I think it's an exponential relationship and it's, we're, we're, we're hitting an inflection point now. And I think there is a spiritual significance to this uh, little visitor that we've had these last couple of years. And it's, it's here to help us speed things up a little bit. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Jonathan, so much for your wisdom and your experience and sharing your own story and being here to continue to put those ripples out into the world. Appreciate you. Thank you, Sarah. It's been a pleasure. Thank you to today's guest, Jonathan DePotter, for his courage and innovation. For all the resources of today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com backslash podcast. Special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour, and our kick-ass editor, Kendra Vicken. And as always, thank you for being here. We'll see you next time.